Sometimes uh, life is going on brilliantly and everything is kind of going according to plan and you kind of think, excellent, I am, I, frankly, I'm invincible and I've wondered how it is possible that people can ever be miserable because look at me, it's going so well. Anyone feeling like that this morning? Because <laughs> I'd love to hear from you. Often life is not like that. Maybe you're walking down the hospital corridor and you've just had news that, will, that you know will change the course of the rest of your life. Maybe you struggle with the thoughts, even the thoughts in your head, and you struggle to share them with another person because it's like, how, 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 how could anyone ever go through or even know what, what's going on in my head with the, with the struggles that I have? Maybe you look at what is fed to you through the media, through what we're supposed to think and what we're supposed to be like and you think, I can never match up to that. People don't know what this body's like. Or maybe you just glance an eye at other people and look at their perfect, amazing lives and think, I wish mine was like that. You know, there was a family, I have to tell you about them, when we were growing up, who were like that for us as a family. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll name them out loud, because they are, you know, they are amazing. Uh, and if you ever meet them, you will know how amazing, but they're also real. They were called the Beasleys. And they lived in the most amazing, in fact, so I can see someone in the congregation nodding because you know them. I'm going to look the other way. Uh, they lived in the most amazing road and they had the most perfect, wonderful family and their hair was always immaculate for those within the family that had hair. And, you know, it was just... And we looked at them as a family. And it was, oh, one day we will live in that road. We never did. Every single one of us faces battles in our lives. Just, just look around you at the people that you are in front of you and behind you. There will be people in this room who are wrestling with mental health, with uh, diagnoses, with financial stuff, with self. There'll be people next to you wrestling with those things. You don't have to be alone. This place is not a place to hide those things away. It's the kind of place to come even when you're feeling grumpy and you can't get out of bed. Because if we can't bring that stuff here, before our family and before God who loves us, where can we bring it? So folks, next time you're feeling grumpy on a Sunday morning, I'm, I'm sure none of you ever do, by the way. I mean, that was a just in case. <laughs> or next time you're feeling overwhelmed and overrun. 
and be with your church family. Come and step into the presence of God and allow Him to renew your soul, to speak into that place, even into those painful places. As we, um, as we look at Exodus together, all of the children's groups are looking at Exodus as well, so please do ask them about what they've been learning. Because it might be that what they're doing down there is better than what I'm going to share with you this morning. And, and that's okay. You know, some days it's like that. But do ask them and talk to one another, okay? And, um, you know, if you see someone that's not yours, ask the parent and then go and ask them. All right? You know, just check out what's going on. As we come to this story today, and if we can move over to the slides, Jeremy, um, there is an immense battle going on. The first battle that's going on is a battle between Moses and Pharaoh. Pharaoh, not the Pharaoh that Moses ran away from. This Pharaoh is about 22 years old. He's royalty, drenched in royalty, living in the right place, dressing in the right way, seen by the people around him, by his people, as a god. uh, Pharaoh, this invincible young ruler in which all of the power of the land is invested. And then there's Moses, at least 80 years old. He's been brought up in those palaces, but he's chosen instead to be identified with his people. He spent the last 40 years not living in a palace, but living in the wilderness as a shepherd put out from society and identifying himself not as a royal but as one of the slave people. And there's, and there's Pharaoh who doesn't recognize that the Lord is God. He says in Exodus chapter 5 verse 2, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh who's identified as a God, but doesn't recognize Yahweh, doesn't recognize the Lord. And Moses, the older man, who's encountered the living God, who's walked in humility, who's been called by name and knows the name of the Lord, Yahweh. But it's not just a battle between a young man and an older man. It's a battle between the people of God, between Israel and Egypt. The battle between power and might. You know those pyramids that still stand all those years later. That society that was able to build so much and so accurately. Look at what they can do. Temples and pyramids. And they've done it through a people who are enslaved. Through the people of Israel who are having to bow before a foreign king. They are just tools, disposable tools in the hands of an angry master. But in the battle... God calls his people out. 
He calls them by name and he affirms that they have value. He says you're not just tools in the hands of a master race, but you have value. And of course it's also a battle between Yahweh and the gods of the Egyptians. We went through um, them at both services last week and uh, Pippa went through them at the nine o'clock really clearly and at the, uh, the all age last week we, we pulled all the plagues out of the bag. You know, and stuff got thrown at us, which was excellent. <clears throat> but there is this battle going on between Yahweh and the gods of the land of Egypt and with each plague that comes, God is bringing judgment on the gods of Egypt. Every stage of the life of the Egyptian is governed by one god or another. Every stage of life and even into the afterlife. With the Pharaoh being seen as the perfect God. But Pharaoh doesn't know the Lord. So the plagues come. One for each of their gods and every single one of them is challenged and defeated. Exodus 12 verse 12 says this, I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. The people of God have been enslaved, not just by Egypt but by their gods. And the Lord defeats them one by one. He will set the people free but he's going to show them that they're really free. He's going to show them that there's nothing that they cannot be freed from. Nothing will stand in his way. And then we come to this final plague, the tenth plague. Every firstborn in the land will die. Now, you know, this kind of stuff, it's, it's unpalatable to us in, in, in the modern age. You know, we don't really do plagues, we do recycling. Everything's a lot neater nowadays. We don't want to, you know, we're, we're careful about where we buy our clothes from, and if we find out they've been made in some foreign sweatshop, we don't, you know, we, we don't want to buy from there, because everything's got to be tidy and right. We don't really do plagues and judgment and all that stuff anymore. But you know, it's the same God of the Old Testament as in the New Testament. And He is determined to set His people free. The plague comes and it's a plague on the firstborn. Why on the firstborn? Because the people of God are going to be freed from the tyranny of a ruler. A ruler who has been set up as God. And the Lord is going to dismantle the whole of his, his kingly line. He's going to tear it apart so that the people can go free. He will take out his inheritance. The firstborn of everyone in Egypt will die. The Pharaoh's son, even down to the cattle. This is God's judgment on the bloodline that has oppressed his people and held them in death and captivity. As the people prepare for this first, for this last plague on the firstborn, they're told to get ready. 
to get ready for a journey there to ask their neighbours, their Egyptian neighbours, for gold and for silver. They were told in Genesis that they would take money from the land, that they would leave with riches. And so they asked their Egyptian, uh, the Egyptian masters for gold and silver and they give it to them willingly. They're to get ready with their coats tucked into their belts, with their shoes on, with the staff in hand, getting ready to travel. God is just about to set them free. They're to make bread, but bread without yeast, because they need to leave in a hurry, and the bread won't have time to rise. And it'll be a a remembrance for them for the years to come. And they're to stay in the house until the morning. Get ready. Get ready. God is going to set you free. Get ready. He's going to win the day for you. Even if the battle keeps raging, He's going to win the day for you and He will be with you right in the midst of the struggle that you face now. What can we learn from this? Well, I've got three things here and um, unashamedly I've taken them straight out of a great commentator who's written on this stuff so I'm using his words uh, rather than mine. Uh, here they are. The, fir- the three, three things. The first is this, that a relationship with God is a life or death issue. A relationship with the living God is a life or death issue. It's not just an Old Testament thing, it's a New Testament thing. Jesus says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life. It's always been a life and death issue. And the only identification, and it's only identification with God's people that exempts us from death. Only through identification with Jesus, being part of his family. Next one, redemption brings freedom at the cost of death. You know, the only way that bondage with Egypt could be broken was through the death penalty. That was the judgment on Egypt for what had happened. It's not an easy freedom. It's not an easy freedom. Israel's freedom was costly. Next one. The release from death, from the death penalty, is only accomplished by sacrifice. Hebrews puts it like this. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Folks, when we water down the cross... We remove its power. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus goes to the cross and pays for our sin in blood so that we can be free. The only escape from the penalty it's only accomplished with a sacrifice.
So let me come into land and try and explain the symbol. You see, and some of you will have seen this before. Don't give it away to the rest of them. You see, Moses is really specific in what he asked the people to do. They're to take a lamb or a goat. It's to be healthy. They're to care for it. And then on the 14th day, everyone sacrifices the animal together. And they collect the animal's blood and they roast the meat. And they eat all of the meat that night. I mean, it's not great for vegetarians and stuff, but I mean, it's, this, I'm just, this is just how it is. And they're ready to go. Their coats are tucked in. Their shoes are on. Their staff's ready. They've got bread for the journey, but without yeast. Apart from anything else, it's smaller without yeast, so it's easier to travel with it. But huddled in their homes as family units, having collected the blood of a lamb. They then get hyssop. If you Google it nowadays, it comes up as mint. Mint wouldn't have done the job. That's why I've got some rosemary. I'm not sure it's entirely accurate. And they're to get the hyssop and they dip it in the blood and they mark their doorframe with it. They dip it in the blood and they mark the top of the doorframe. Exodus is really specific. You dip the hyssop in the blood and you mark the doorframe, the top of the doorframe. And you also mark the sides. Do you get it? Just in case you didn't. You mark the top of the door frame. And you mark the sides of the door frame. And that household because of the sacrifice of the Lamb, is protected from the death penalty rightly exercised on the whole of the land. And your household goes free. And you escape in the morning to life with the King of Kings. You escape to life with the King of Kings. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it absolutely life-changing that even in the second book of the Bible written long before Jesus Christ came and died on a cross, that right in there is the sign of the cross for us. It's only by the blood of the Lamb that sins are forgiven. There is no other way and anyone who tells you anything else is shortchanging you. He really did come in person. 
the King of kings, God Almighty, Yahweh, stepped out of heaven and became a human being. Fully breathing, fully human. He didn't come as a human being equipped with godly superpowers. He came as a human being who had surrendered what it meant to be king and lived on earth as a human being. Fully human, fully God. Not with superpowers, just full of the Holy Spirit like you and I can be. And he came and he died on a cross. He died on the cross so that we could be free. The Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who calls you out of slavery. Who calls you out of the captivity that you are held in. He calls you out of the sin that constrains you and that you think defines you. And He says, no, I've got a name for you. You will be my people. A holy people. Called by name and set free. There is nothing that you are going through that God doesn't want to come and set you free from or walk with you in. So let me wrap up in prayer and I'm going to read some words that will be familiar to many of us. Whatever you're going through, there is freedom for you. There's nothing that the living God can't defeat. Nothing that you've said over yourself. No place that you've been that God can't free you from. I wonder whether you'll stand with me as I read this. story in Exodus in any part of the Old Testament is a, is a foretelling, a, a, a reaching forward into what God is going to do. It all points to Jesus, to his death and his resurrection. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? For some of you, as I read the rest of these words, you will know what's coming and it's not just for you. It's for the situations that you stand in, that you wrestle with. It's for the people that you live on the same street as that don't yet know that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's for the whole of Western. For the whole of Bath, for this nation. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things?
Some of you this morning, you carry, you carry condemnation. Enough. Enough condemnation. Hear these words from Romans. Who will bring any charge against God, against those whom God has chosen? Who then is the one who condemns no one? Christ Jesus died more than that. He was raised to life. He is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor things present, nor the future, nor powers, nor any height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. I pray for each one of us that we would know this so deeply and live in the fullness of it. That we would either know complete freedom from the struggles that we contend with. Or we'd know God right at our side fighting for us. That we would be a light to the nations. As people that have been set free. And so I bless you in the name of the one who died on the cross. In the name of Jesus, the Lamb 